0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Okay, guys, chapter five, chapter five of the book of Daniel is a drama, if you will, kind of chapter, Okay. When you read it, I mean, there's several things that are going to be taking place, and there are what you would call concurrent events uh, taking place. Like Belshazzar, he's busy feasting, he's partying, okay? He's got his nobles, he's got his wives, he's got his concubines, and all the while the army of of Persia is right outside the walls of Babylon, So you've got an army coming in and so all of a sudden you've got the walls of Babylon and they're planning this assault on this city that has taken so much pride and glory. I mean, it's the Babylonian kingdom. Nobody's going to take Babylon. If you recall, Babylon was the aggressor. They were they were attacking Egypt, it tells us in Jeremiah. And then on the way back, he's like, let's just take Judah too. And Nebuchadnezzar was strong and mighty and powerful. And now all of a sudden... Some things have changed. This chapter takes place close to the Babylonian kingdom in the year about 539 BC. 539. Chapter 4 at the close of the life of Nebuchadnezzar was at about 562 BC. Okay, so here's what you need to jot down. Between chapter 4 and chapter 5, you need to say there's been 23 years. 23 years. Why is that important? Because at times, guys, when we simply read the Bible, and I always encourage you to read the Bible, but there are times when we study the Bible that it makes more sense to go, oh, okay. Because what happens if you read the Bible, you'll look at it and go, well, I don't understand chapter 4 to chapter 5. There must be a contradiction. If there's a contradiction, well, the whole Bible, let's just throw it all out. It's not going to mean anything. But no, no, no. See, when you take notes and you go, okay, from chapter 4, when we said goodbye to Nebuchadnezzar to chapter 5, there's 23 years 23 years, but we don't see it in the scripture. As Daniel's writing, he's not necessarily gonna talk all about, we have to do the work and go back and we'll, we'll do that. So, King Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years. We've spent the last four chapters talking about this king. Now, here's what I find interesting. This king had several what we'll call God encounters, right? He had several God encounters, and it, it four chapters, if you will, to see that the God of this universe and have a real encounter with Him. That's what was, and, and I was just thinking about Nebuchadnezzar, and I was thinking, dude, four chapters. But then I think about our lives, and I wonder how many God encounters we have to have to really get on, to just get fired up for Him and really walk and live for God. Nebuchadnezzar took four chapters, and, and in those chapters, if you recall, Nebuchadnezzar meets some really connected young men. And I, and I love this because we've had a group of young men start coming to our church, and I wish they were here tonight, but what I find interesting, and what I find, these men, these young men, well, they're not interested in fitting in with the heathen of Babylon. You see, they were Hebrew, and no doubt that made an impression on the king. I'm afraid in our culture today, the young people need to find a greater value in serving God than living in the culture of the day. You see, that's what these four young men that we study did. Church, listen, if we want to make an impression on those around us, our bosses, our teachers, whatever it might be, our clients. I'm telling you right now, if you want to make an impression, stay focused on the Word of God. Stay believing in Jesus. You see, the world will take notice. Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the world, took notice on those young men. Well, wait a minute. Why are they different? Why are they different? And can I tell you this, the Christian life the christian walk is not a sprint it's not something we go all right i'm out let's go it's a long journey and it's over time and, and 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 sometimes we sit back and go god i've been serving you i got saved when i was 17 and and lord this has been a long time when are you coming back and you go well, you've been doing the same things for this long yes because the christian walk is a journey is a journey you see most people will quote i want you to dare to be a daniel dare to be a daniel but i think a better person is for you to be you for you to be you why well i would encourage you tonight dare to be a ferocious man or woman of god dare to be that say this is what i'm going to do i'm going to step in and i'm going to walk and, and and I think about guys. I think about our movie, and I think about Pastor Chuck taking that step of faith with the hippies, and I think about all those guys. They're really the foundation of Calvary Chapel. But I think of a young man like Lonnie, who was who was just so in love with the Lord that he that's he could he could feel that spirit. And and at times I think we get so mature that we just forget to walk in the Spirit. And I would tell you, don't don't dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be you. Dare to be you, see, we're living in this world, and Jesus tells us, Be in the world, but not of it. Not of it. Think about the amount of people that you and I can impact if we were to stand strong and walk intentionally. Intentionally, if we would purpose to change our lives just a little bit and say, okay, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time in the Word of God. I'm going to spend time and I'm going to take a moment to ask God to reveal himself to me. And I'm going to try to focus that each and every day. Can you imagine to stand strong? Well, chapter 2, if you recall, it gives us another God encounter, this time in a dream. This is where we learn about the Colossus of Clout um remember the image the image is going to be on the screen right there and you'll see um, really quickly if you remind us you got the babylonian empire the head of gold okay you got the arms and chest of silver you got the hips and the thighs of bronze and you've got the legs and iron and i want to remind you at the very bottom of that image guys is the feet of clay and iron why Because that's going to be this next empire that we're going to probably see in our day. Okay? That's the new, that's the revived Roman Empire. So, if history serves us right and you look at this, I mean, all of those have taken place. The last one hasn't taken place, but it's about to take place. You go, well, that's going to do two things to you emotionally. Either you're going to freak out going, I don't have enough time! Or you're going to go, yes, I'm excited, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. Can I tell you, the biggest enemy sometimes is our ideals. Ideally, I thought I would be here at this level. Ideally, when we planted this church, we would we were going to be here by this time. Ideally, I thought this was going to happen. Ideally, I thought I would be speaking to thousands of people. Ideally, I thought we were going to have this type of home. Ideally, I thought I was going to have this many kids. And, and when we don't, guys, what does that create in us? That creates just um well it creates depression when we don't fulfill when we don't feel like we're fulfilling our ideals and so we got to be careful with that because you are right where you are because god knows that's where you're supposed to be right now and so what do i do what do i do in the moment what do i do in the moment what do i do while i'm waiting what do i do when as i wait for the lord to continue to move what do i do you guys remember you just keep moving. Just keep Just keep being about your father's business. Just keep being about your father's business. Loving and encouraging. And it starts with family. Love and encourage your family. Then go out. Go out into your neighborhoods. Then go out and, and, and just... that. That's what He's called us to do. Why? Because time is short. Time is short. And I can't tell you in 2023 the m- amount of how things change so quickly... From day to day. You and I, I mean, I don't know if you're in the habit, and the first thing you do is get up is watch the news, and and rightfully so at times, although you need to get up and spend time with the Lord first, but we watch the news because the world changes so fast we don't know what happened overnight, and, and, and some significant things happen overnight. And so we're living in that world. We're living in that world. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a what, remember, he had a God encounter. And God spoke loudly in a dream what the world would be like in our day. And Nebuchadnezzar, he responds with this encounter. Chapter 2, verse 47, look on the screen. It says Then the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. What a great confession! What a great confession. I want to break it down before we move to chapter three, real quick. But he says, Dan, he said, You're truly your God is the God of gods. And he's the Lord of kings. And my my question to us tonight is is that true in our hearts? Is God God or not? Is He the King of everything? And I'm afraid there are so many people who have made Jesus Savior. But they haven't made him Lord and King. And, and Lord, you, you, you're going to take care of me. And what happens, guys, is the enemy comes in very craftily and he creates doubt. He creates doubt in our, in our relationships. He creates doubt in our relationship with God. And, and so all of a sudden we're going, oh Lord, I don't know if you really love me. I'm not sure if you're really there. I don't know if you have a plan for me. And, and yet, every one of us has had a God encounter. And we need to walk away going, He is the King. He is the God of gods. Right? He is God. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's all of that. But I want to challenge you tonight for just a moment. And I want you to think about it later to, later on tonight. I want to ask you, who is, who is God to you? Like, like, who is God? Is He that authoritative father figure that's waiting to for you to mess up? is he a loving wonderful gracious god that's going to let you do whatever you want even though the consequences are are going to hurt you what kind of who, who's god to you and you go well you don't have to I, you don't have to answer that tonight i just i want you to think about this because because sometimes we're we, we we approach God with that, oh, okay, God, okay, God, I know. Or or we don't understand how amazing and the King of kings and the Lord of lords he is and how beautiful he is. And, and when you think about just the majesty of who he is and how gracious he is, you see, you're all here on a Wednesday night because you love the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you you you've got a call on your life for God to do more in your life. In chapter 3, we discover that God has once again proved to this king that he was in fact God. This was, if you recall, the fiery furnace. Listen, it all had to do with worship. The king wanted everyone to bow down, everyone to bow down to, to worship his image, and if he didn't, he, what? he considered it treason, punished by death. Right? Do you remember that? So, so I want to just take a moment and um, just draw your attention to that. Before we read the verse of chapter 3, think about this. As we move closer to a one-world government, a one-world currency, as we start moving more prophetically, um, it's all going to have to do with worship. Who we worship. And it's all going to go down to, and exactly, and the thing about it is that, is that you may not look at it as worship, but, that, but that's kind of the, the whole plan of the revived Roman Empire is, is worship. And I think about this, and if you didn't bow down, if we don't bow down and we don't worship, whatever image or whatever the world is going to throw us, I mean, is it going to be considered treason? You know, are we going to be punished by death? Let me share with you what the world's going to look like once we're gone. Let's say that you're a believer here today, or, or, or maybe you're not a believer, and uh, you're walking, you're kind of walking the tightrope of the world. You, you've got one foot maybe in Christianity, you like hanging out with Christians, but, but the other part of you likes the world, and so you're just kind of doing that. And, and uh, man, the rapture takes place, and, and everybody's gone, and you're still here. And you know it. It's not going to be a surprise. You're not going to be going, God, I thought I was going to go. You know in your heart. And then think about this, guys. We're gone, but the world is going to be so ugly that actually the way you say, okay, Your Lord, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. So then you're going to start following the Lord with all of your heart because you know the world is crazy. And you're literally going to have to die for your faith. You're going to have to die for your faith. And For you to go, oh well that's not a problem. I'll die. I'll die for my faith. It's not that's not a problem. Well, think about it, guys. Think about think about what that world's gonna look like. Think about what that world's gonna look like for just a moment. It's gonna it's gonna be super crazy in the fact that I mean what if you happen to have little ones? And they and and here here are your babies, here are your babies. And they say, listen, you need you need to take this mark. It's for the good of all mankind. You need to take this mark. Listen, if you take this mark, your babies will eat. No, I read something. Oh, you read something in a religious book? Come on. Don't believe that. If you take this mark, if you take this uh, this, this, image, if you, if you do this, your babies will eat. And you go, no, I'm not going to do it. And then what happens if they begin to torture your babies in front of you to get you to change your mind? And that's why... We're trying to reach as many people as we can. That's why it's important. Nebuchadnezzar responds in chapter 3, verse 28. He said, Nebuchadnezzar spoke to spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, notice that's capital, delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. And so, Two weeks ago, we learned that his pride and the fact that he never remembered his God encounters left him like an animal. Do you remember that? And he was acting accordingly. What did he do? He ate, um, seven years, he ate the grass of the field. He was he was probably walking on all fours. The Bible says that his beard grew so long and his nails grew and he didn't get a manicure or a pedicure or anything else. And so there he was and and all he did is eat the grass. For seven years. Wow. I guess you could say he was a vegetarian, right? (laughs) Up until that day. And so, uh, yeah. In Daniel 4.37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in his pride, and he's able to put down. Okay? So, that was the last we, we hear of King Nebuchadnezzar. So if you're taking note, he dies in about 562 B.C., okay? So Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Now, we come to chapter 5. How many years between chapter 4 and chapter 5? 23, very good. Now, let me give you a nugget of truth, and here's what you need to write down if you're not afraid to write in your Bible. Chronologically, chronologically, chapter 7 and 8 take place before chapter 5. Chronologically. Okay, so once again, that can throw you off if you're reading the Bible. Hence the importance of studying the Bible. Okay, so let's jump in. The reign of Belshazzar begins at about 533 B.C. So chapter 7 takes place in the first year, and chapter 8 takes place in the third year, uh, about 547 B.C. Okay, so you you, kind of have this going on back and forth so now we have to do some work so we can learn about this next king now stay with me the the chronology of the ancient historian besoros this is where it comes from nebuchadnezzar dies after a reign of 43 years his son evil uh Moradok, described in jeremiah 52 rules for two years well, then he's assassinated by his brother-in-law, and his name is Neri Glasser. Neri Glasser. N-E-R-I-G-L-A-S-S-A-R. Neri Glasser. So, so, he's raised, so, so Nebuchadnezzar's son goes, Dad's dead, I'm taking over, let's go! And then all of a sudden, his brother-in-law comes in and kills him. After two years. Neri Glasser... The brother-in-law rules for four years, and then he dies a natural death. So his son, and I don't even know how to pronounce this. Let me let me just spell it for you. His name is um, Labor, Laboro Sorchad. It's L-A-B-O-R-O-S-O-A-R-C-H-O-D. And so that's his son. Now, they couldn't name him Bill. You know, I mean, it's like, how do you call this guy to, hey, labor, labor salt. hey, you, <laughs> come in and eat. I don't understand, but that's what they named. And I think that'd be an interesting thing. I didn't look up the name, but I wonder what that name means. And so his son, the only child, and mentally unstable, by the way, probably because his mom and dad named him that, you know what I mean? Uh, he rules for only nine months. Before he's being beaten by a gang of conspirators, so you know, I mean, being the king isn't always what it's supposed, what what is cracked up to be. So that's dead, you know, ding dong, the king is dead, and so they appoint a man by the name of Nabondius, Nabondius, to be king. Okay, N A B O N I D U S, Nabondius. And he rules until Cyrus, the Persian, conquers Babylon. So Nabondius is ruling, okay? Who is Nabondius? Nabondius has a grandson, and his name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar. So Nabondius is ruling. He has a grandson. That's like if I was ruling, and my grandson Jesse, that's who he would be. He would be uh, Belshazzar, okay? So it's most likely at the time of Daniel chapter 5, Nabandias has gone out to fight against the Medo-Persian army, and it's assumed that he's captured. Nobody hears from Nabondius again. And everybody's like, well, Grandpa went out to fight. <laughs> I hadn't heard from him. Did you get a text from Grandpa? No, I didn't get a text from Grandpa. Did he post anything on social media? No, he didn't post anything on social media. It looks like he's done. What, what, what's, what, what's the deal? What's the deal? So guess what? Armies are now surrounding the, the, or Babylon. They're surrounding Babylon. So grandson, Belshazzar, has been set up as king, co regent of Babylon. They kind of look around and go, um... All right, you. You're his grandson. Okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So he's he's sort of the co-regent, right? So Belshazzar was the co-regent in the third year of Nabondius' reign from 553 B.C. until the fall of Babylon in 539. Okay, So if you add all those up, this is the 20 years between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So you've got to remember, you're just kind of going down and kind of looking, okay, this is, this is who you are. Now, chapter 5 is divided into three sections, guys, three natural sections. Verses 1 through 9, we're going to see a night of excess, a night of partying, a night of drunkenness, a night of hedonism. That's what we're going to see in verses 1 through 9. In verses 10 through 29, we're going to see that he's going to sober up real fast is going to be a night of revelation, a night of enlightenment. If you read ahead, you'll see that Belshazzar literally sobers up when he sees the writing on the wall. And of course, the last two verses is we're going to see a night of judgment. So you got a night of partying, right, we're having a good time, and then he says, oh, then he sees a night of revelation, and then we're going to see... That judgment follow. So tonight, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. We're going to see a night of excess. And we're going to see the writings on the wall. Picking it up, Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 as we move forward. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Can you imagine? That's a big party. You will only have a few people at your house at best. He says, invite a thousand people, okay? So so Genevieve, we're inviting a thousand people to your house to have a party, okay? She's like, what? <laughs> we don't have the room. That's what he does. And what does he do? He made a great feast. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the food for a thousand? And who was it? It was for a thousand of his lord's. And, I mean, these, these these people, and they drank wine in the presence of a thousand. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father, okay, not his, not, you understand the, the, the way it comes, it's not his father, it's his great, great, great grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Wow, can you imagine the scene? We've all been there at some of these parties. But nonetheless, Belshazzar, he's surrounded... Guys, he's surrounded by armies. They're trying to come in. They're trying to kill him. Wait a minute, what's that? There's people out there wanting to kill you, Belshazzar. Oh, no worry about it, I'm good. Hey, bring out the wine, let's go, right? Turn up the music and we're all having a good time and he's got his wife there, he's got his friends and he's walking around with, drinking his wine. He's having a good, he's feeling good, he's feeling good. That's what's going on right here. That's what's going on. Now you you go, well, whoa, 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 wait, 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 stop, stop. He's having a party and, and, and the armies are right outside the door? Yeah. Yeah, why? He's not he's not afraid, he's not worried. No, he's partying having a good time, and you have to ask why. Well, I'm gonna tell you in just a moment. But he does something that most drunk people do when they get drunk. They make bad decisions. They make bad, bad decisions. You go, what do you mean? He says, okay. Hey, everybody. Hey, check it out. Listen. Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, man. He, listen, there's, and, and what does he do? He, he says, I'm going to take some vessels that were sacred in the temple and bring them out. We're going to drink from them. I'm going to show off how we, how we do things and how we conquer stuff. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Well, why was he not afraid? Why was he so proud? Why would there's armies outside? Here's why. Listen, the outer wall of Babylon, the outer wall of Babylon, guys, was 17 miles long, 22 feet thick, 22 feet thick, 90 feet high. Okay, that's very, very, that's a wall. Okay, that's a wall. Nobody's coming in. Okay, and then the guard towers were 100 feet tall. So you had you had this, I don't even know how much, I mean, that's almost the size of this state. That's how big. Guys, that's how thick this walls was, about the size of this stage going this way. 90 feet high. No wonder he's partying. No one ain't getting in. Then he's got guards 10 feet higher going, okay, who's coming? Who's coming? The gates into the city, guys, were made of bronze. And the system of inner and outer walls and moats around it made the city very, very secure. That's why. He's got 1,000 people and they're having... And they're, listen, they're not even, they're not even doing karaoke. I mean, they have the real bands, okay? They're not, they're not even, they're not even playing records, if you will. They have band playing and having a great time. I mean, this is, this is a party, man. And he's secure. And he's secure. Not even thinking about it, is he? If you're taking notes, I want to bring out a couple of points. You go, what's that? Belshazzar right here is a lot like the world we live in today. You go, how so, pastor? You ready? Jot this down. I want you to notice in the text that Belshazzar is putting his trust, come on somebody, in external things. He's putting his trust in walls, in guards, in gates, and moats. He's putting his trust that way. He trusts in the external things that will only bring temporary peace. Oftentimes, when we don't have the peace of God in our hearts, we will often look for external things to fill the void. Come on, guys, that's good. That's good stuff. We have to search our hearts for just a minute since it's Wednesday night and we're seeking God. Lord, am I trusting in external things and not trusting in you? Am I, am I playing Belshazzar? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I just like that? He was putting his trust. And I think the world does that today, church. The world is putting their trust in whatever they can put their trust in, and they're not trusting or finding the peace of God. You see, the trust of an external things only lasts for but a moment. But the peace, the peace from Jesus lasts for eternity. Eternity. What's the second point you want to make, Pastor? Well, I want you to note the scene that we're seeing right here, a party. They're partying while a hostile army surrounds the city. Surrounds the city. And again, this reminds me of, it it, it surely is reminiscent of the spirit of our age, right? It reminds me of a song that we used to sing way back in the day, and the lyrics go something like this, 2000 parties over whoops out of time. So tonight I'm going to party like it's 1999. That's exactly the heart of of Belshazzar, that's the spirit. That's that, That's exactly what it reminds me of. So, what do they do? Well, the Bible says that that Belshazzar drank wine, okay, and wine caused Belshazzar to do things he never done before. And you realize that it gives a certain boldness, which causes which caused God to come and judge His kingdom. So, what was the command? Well, what did Belshazzar do? He says, "I got a command." Listen up! And so, what does he do, guys? Check this out. He, it just blows my mind. He starts to order the sacred vessels that were taken from Jerusalem, and he says, "Bring those to the party." No, no, Bell. Hey, Bell, dude. No, no, Bell, let's not do this. This is those are. Let's, hey, we got, we got, we got plenty. Adam didn't forget the cups. We got plenty of stuff. Okay, <laughs> we're all right. No, I want to show you who I am, and and you can see the pride coming in here, guys, and. And he says, bring the vessels. You see, Belshazzar would have been familiar with stories of Daniel and his companions based on verse 22. He would have known. He would have understood. But the wine caused him to boldly challenge the God of Israel. The God of Israel. Now, here's what I want you to jot down if you're taking notes. The vessels. Everybody say vessels. Say it again. They were dedicated for something. What were they dedicated for? For the worship of Jehovah God. The vessels were dedicated for the vessels. Now, I want you to remind, I want you to hold on to that thought. They were The vessels were dedicated. Hey, bring out the vessels. No, 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 bell, 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 bell. Bell, bell. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Come on. Come on. No, bring them out. I want to see. Well, what happens? Well, we have to obey. He's king. Verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels which had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods, little g-gods, of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, wood, and stone. Okay? Do you see that? I want you to note verse 4. They defied the God of Israel and praise the g, little g-gods of Babylon. Big, big mistake. Big mistake. Why? Well, those of you know, um, living in Texas, our slogan is, don't mess with Texas, right? But about this here in the Word of God, don't mess with God. Don't mess with God. That's their slogan. Because I want you to think about this. Why would Belshazzar, why would he do this? Okay, I, he knows all about Daniel. He knows what's going on. He's heard, he heard the stories growing up with Nebuchadnezzar and all of them. Why, why would he do that? Why would he, like, why? Here's why. Remember, he's, he's obviously trying to boost the morale in the face of the Persian armies, already outside the walls. You can imagine, right? Because now it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're being attacked. Don't worry, guys. We're, don't worry, so much so, we're just going to go ahead and, no, I, we got this, we got this. And I wonder, I just think of his self-confidence in an external wall trying to boost your morale. I, I think about that. I think about that. The Persian army's coming in. You know what's going to happen if he comes in. The kingdom's going to fall. I'm no longer going to be king, but don't worry about it, guys. We got this. We got this. And he's trying to boost morale, thinking, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, hey, we're, we're about to, <laughs> we're about to lose. That's okay. Let's just go for one more gusto. I don't know what he's trying to do. But we're going to find out some writing on the wall. Look at verse five. In that same hour, the fingers of a man appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosed, and his knees knocked together against each other. (laughs) Can you imagine? There he is There he is. Hey, more wine, more wine, more everything. You want to eat? Come on. He's having a good time, and he says, "I got an idea. I got an idea. Listen, I want to tell you how powerful I am. Why don't you bring out the sacred stuff? No, let's not do this. No." He brings it out, and they start drinking, and they start praising the gods of the gold. And hey, look at this. We're we're something. In that same hour, what happens? In the same hour that the men come with the articles of the temple of Jerusalem, that very same hour, something freaky happens. Something mysterious. I mean, all of a sudden, across, there's a man's hand riding on the plaster. Right? It's illuminated by the lamp behind the king. And the lamps were the source of lights since the party was taking place at night. And this lamp is located near the king scene, which would have not been hard to miss. There it is. He sees the writing on the wall. He sees this hand. I mean, can you imagine? Now, listen, I've got to be honest with you. I've had a lot of wine. I'm having a good time. Am I saying things? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did you see that? (laughs) Right? That's the first thing you do is like, Woo, I'm having hallucinations. I'm just like, oh my God. Hey, did, you want to be cool, right? You got a thousand, you got your wives there, they all think you're something. And so you're like, hey, self, hey, Soph, hey, self, did you see that? And self's so like, yeah. Now, you know what's going on in the scene, right? The king's watching this, all everybody's like, all right, been a good party. <laughs> we're, we're out, you know, hey, babe, we got to go. Get, get the coat. I would. I'd be like, hey, oh, what was that? Man, Belshazzar's theatrics or what? Now it says this, that his countenance, okay? Everybody looked at his face. The king was just moments earlier boldly challenged. Look, God, I'm going to drink of these. Drinking toast from the temple vessels. Now, his bold appearance has totally changed, has it not? What does it say? It says the joints of his hips... And, and the, 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 the actual literal rendering of this is that he lost control. He wasn't stable anymore. Okay? This was very humiliating event for a proud king. He went from challenging God, now in front of his guests, his wives, his concubines, he could not control himself. And this was not going to be Belshazzar's day. I don't, you, you've seen the scenes in some movies where, where something dramatic happens like that and they fall back like, wow, you know, I don't know if that's what it was, but I know it freaked him out. Why? Because the Bible says that his knees knocked. His knees knocked. He was utterly terrified at the hand of what it meant and what it meant. He was freaked out. Now, listen, have your knees ever knocked? You were that scared. Have you, I mean, you know, back in the day, we used to first, we always, we always used to prank somebody. You'd hide behind the door and then your sister or brother walk in, you go Boof! And you, they'd, you know, scare you half to death or whatever it might be. But the only time my knees literally knocked was when I was in minor leagues baseball and I was nine years old and I was playing and I had, it was, it was the game when I had to go up and I had to bat. And literally, I'm, they, there I was, and I was, I mean, this pitcher, he's a 12-year-old, it was coming fast, and I remember sitting there, and I was literally going, okay, I'm going to mess this up for everybody, and my knees literally, I was so scared, right, because you don't want to look bad in front of all your friends, and of course, you're nine years old, what are you going to do, you're playing major leagues. That's the only time I ever remember my knees knocking, literally. You guys want to know What happened? Hey, that's not true. I don't remember what happened. I just know my knees were knocking. But let me tell you another story. No, I'm just kidding. Let me tell you another story. So, so, let's get some application. Let's get some application. A message from God, guys, was written on the wall. You see, God can and does communicate to men in an unexpected and even shocking ways. He's writing on the wall. Right here, a hen mysteriously appears and begins to write on the wall. This, of course, is where we get our proverbial saying, the writing's on the wall. So, what are you thinking? Chapter 5 gives us another God encounter, does it not? We've, we've had more. Now, and again, think about this, that while the party's going on, okay, it's in progress and they're drinking wine and shouting praises to the gods of Babylon. God shows up. God shows up. Now, we could say right here that God is the original party crasher. Don't you think? Because he comes crashing the party, right? Right? You hear the music stop. There's a... Ru- oh, right? You, you know that thing. And then, and then suddenly appeared some fingers and they began to write on the wall. Now, is this not worse than having your party, having a party when you told mom and dad you wouldn't have a party and then they showed up? <laughs> yeah, the ones who are laughing are the ones who did that. No, Mom, we're, we're good. I'm just, I'm just going to stay in and have a few friends order pizza. Next thing they come back and you're like, all right, Mom and Dad show up. And then they embarrass you by telling everybody to leave. Well, this is kind of what God did. God kind of showed up, didn't tell anybody to leave, but freaked everybody out. Why? Because he used a man's hand and a finger. Now, let's talk for just a moment. A while ago, I asked you to repeat the vessel. or vessels. The vessels were used for what? Worship, right? The vessels that they mocked while, while they mocked God, while praising the gods of Babylon, guys, they were used honestly in the temple for the worship of God. And here they were used for idol worship. You guys, you got this, right? You're like, okay. What I want you to take home tonight is realize, guys, that we're vessels of God dedicated for the worship of God. You too are a vessel. And when you got saved, you're a vessel dedicated to the Lord. You're like, wow. What does that mean? In other words, let me say it like this. We were created to worship God. We were created to honor God. The one thing we need to keep, always keep in mind is this. We have to be careful, first and foremost, with idols in our hearts. We have to be careful that we don't worship anything other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, Pastor, are you saying I can't love my husband? No, I'm saying you can't worship your husband. Well, I just worship and adore my husband. No, you're missing the point. Why? Because worship is taking anything and putting it above God. That's worship. You are a vessel created for worship. That's the first thing. It was Tim Keller who wrote, got it from someone else, that our hearts really are idol factories. They they like to create idols for us. We like to worship. We were created to worship. But it's so important that we, we worship God. You see that? They took the things that were created to worship and they used them in a well a very wrong way. We could spend the next 20 minutes talking about this, but I just want to leave that with you. Just think about that for a second. Because the one thing we need to keep in mind is we should see, we should see that the greatest problem in the universe is not mere moral failure, but a failure to honor God. That's the greatest problem in the universe is people don't want to honor God. Be wise, church, when you use this vessel for idol worship. Be wise, because you might have a God encounter, much like the one Belshazzar is having. Notice reaction, verse 7. The king, the king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the sewers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now, you can circle that word for third ruler because the statement demonstrates the accuracy of the book of Daniel compared to the critics. The mention of Belshazzar as king of Babylon caused many critics to question Daniel and the authenticity. How so? The reason Belshazzar could promise someone to be the third ruler was because his father, Nabadonis, was the first ruler and he was the second ruler. So he, you, you, see, you see how they would go, oh, well, wait a minute, if he's king, how can he make third ruler? Well, he's always considering, well, Nabadanus, my dad is still ruling, he's just lost out there somewhere. Hadn't heard from him. That makes me co-regent, co-ruler, so I'm second. So if somebody can interpret this, yeah, make you third ruler. Everybody goes. Oh, wow! Okay, okay, got it, got it. Verse eight. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing, nor make known the king its interpretation. Then the king Belshazzar was greatly troubled, and his countenance changed. And his, Lord, his lords were astonished. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking, guys, all of this party's going on and it comes to a screeching halt because everybody sees the hand and then now they have something written and, and he's like, uh, bring, all the, bring, bring all the wise guys. Tell me what it means. And nobody can do that. And so it says that the lords were astonished. They're probably are backing up going, all right, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's happening. Right? Again, Think about this. The wisdom of the world is pitted against the wisdom of God, championed by Daniel. The wise man could not read the writing or understand what it meant. In an applicational sense, the same goes with the Bible today. Don't you agree? The wise men of the world cannot read the Bible and understand the words. The meaning is hidden from the skeptic who chooses to reject God's word. It's the same way. They're all like, well, let me tell you. No. Let me tell you the Word of God. The Word of God is so beautiful that it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in, but it's shallow enough for a child to play in. That's the Word of God. If you want to study, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then there are times when you read it. But it's so important to have Bible study. Why? Because now you understand who Belshazzar is compared to Nebuchadnezzar, how he came, how there was 23 um, years between them, and that he could say, hey, whoever can read this will be my third ruler because my dad is still out there. He's 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 actually um, probably dwelling north of the Arabian desert as recorded in the uh nebadonis chronicle so so he didn't know that, but so you're saying God's word is real God's word is truth yeah so let's close with this. we've covered one nine we're gonna get to that next week but i wanna I wanna bring up first corinthians chapter one eighteen through twenty one Paul writes to the Corinthian church, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now listen. Paul, with all his knowledge and understanding of Scripture, could not understand the idea of the Messiah dying until God chose to reveal himself to Paul. In the same way, People cannot see Christ until God chooses to reveal himself to them. God's plan for the end of days is also hidden from the world, but it's revealed to God's people. The wicked don't understand, but the wise understand. You see, what happens, guys, is that it's exactly that. You probably have friends You probably have family that can't see what's going on in the world as prophetic and end-time scenarios. And they blow you off and they think you're crazy and all of the above. But you understand. You know what's going on. You go, well, Ben, Ben, i got a question real quick, real quick, since we have just a second. Um, What if I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming back soon, but he doesn't come back for the next ten years? Or he doesn't come back for the next 20 years. And I'll tell you why. That's a good question. I'll tell you why. Because God's heart is so that people will be saved. And as long as people are getting saved, it's going to delay the return of Jesus. You understand that. And so for you and I, 10 years is not a long time. 20 years is not a long time. I think of, I think of, of, some of us in this room who, are, who got saved at a later time. I think of that. What if the Lord would have come back in 1988? You wouldn't have been saved. And his heart is so gracious. But you do understand what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, you guys can look at the weather and say, wow, those clouds are coming in. I think we're going to have a storm. He says, you can also see the signs of the time and realize that it's coming. Let me give you a couple, and then we'll pray. Number one, everything that has to happen prophetically has already happened. And so so all we have to do is wait on the return of the Lord Jesus. But based based upon, are we living in the last days? Based upon Ezekiel 38 and 39? Based upon all that's happening in the Middle East? Based upon, I mean, even just crazy stuff like like Benjamin Netanyahu not winning the election, now winning the election, and now he's in charge of Israel again. All of the stuff that's going on, all of the the Russian, uh, China, everything that's happening right now, based on all that, we're closer than we've ever, 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 ever been. And so God's revealing that to you. And so what that does in our hearts, prophetically, is go, okay, Lord, I want to be right with you. I'm going to keep walking. I want to be right with you. Second of all, I mean, when you think about that, wow, Lord. Even though I see it, we see a remnant of revival coming through our land. And we're seeing things that, wow, Lord, Lord, wow. And here's my heart, and I hope it's your heart. I hope you go, listen, God, I love reading all of the stuff and the tongues and all that in the in the book of Acts, but I want to experience it. I want to see revival here. I want to see. I want to just see you just pour out your spirit in a way like never before. I want to see, I want to, I want to see. I just want to smile and just go, God. I'll wait, Lord, for you to come back. If I could see another great awakening. You saw in the movie last night. Hundreds of thousands of kids and people of all ages were going to the beach to be baptized. You saw that. God did that. He can do that again. He can do that again. Is God God or not? Father, tonight we thank you. Lord, next week we know that Daniel's going to come and reveal the meanings. We're excited to see what happens. But tonight, we want to honor and worship you. We want to glorify you. We thank you, Lord. Father, the world. Father, the world is partying. It's drinking. It's excess. It's doing all the things, God. All the drugs that are coming in, Lord. The world is doing that. And the enemy is right outside the door. Lord, people are putting their trust in external things. We need to put our trust in You. So Lord, we ask that You would forgive us, God. And that You would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and ungodliness. God, bring us closer to You. Lord, I pray that the young men would dream dreams and the old men would see visions, God, that You would pour out Your Spirit. We are living in the last days. And so, Father, we receive. And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts, God, that is, that is hindering the Holy Spirit to move mightily, we confess that as sin to You. Lord, help us not to take our eyes off of You.